0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Brian Levine. He's the executive vice president of GreaseZilla, and he is going to tell us all about how his company is dealing with the waste of fats, oil, and grease. Brian, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having us.
0: You typically refer to fats, oil, and grease as fog, right? Can you give us a little bit of background of fog and tell us why it is a problem?
1: Sure, my pleasure. So, fat oil and grease is actually something that is generated by all of us, and it, it typically is initiated at any commercial kitchen restaurant, whether it's university a military base, uh, your favorite restaurant around the corner, wherever there is cooking of organic materials such as beef, chicken, any, any kind of protein that generates a grease inside of these establishments in order to prevent the oil and grease from restaurants getting into the infrastructure and into the sewer systems. It goes into something called a grease interceptor. So every restaurant pretty well on the planet, this is almost a global uh, concern, yeah. every restaurant has a an interceptor where anything from your dinner plate or anything from a dishwasher is collected and it is held and then it is serviced. The issue of grease coming actually from our homes or from commercial kitchens or commissaries is one of the city's, a city's biggest nightmares. They view it, it happens to be a $25 billion problem because the grease hardens inside the sewer systems in the infrastructure in cities and towns and causes all sorts of aggravation and problems, often called uh, system overflows. So this is why fog is such a nasty, although it's organic, it's a nasty problem for cities, towns, municipalities in general.
0: Mm-hmm. So I remember London nicknamed these problems <laughs> the Fatberg. That's <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you, you know about that. Yeah. But that was so that was a lot of grease. But it was also issues, I think, with people flushing things down the toilet that were like baby wipes and stuff. Like, I think it was a whole mix.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Uh, London, for some reason, invented the, the term Fogberg. It seems that uh, if you ever go on Google and you look for the worst case of grease that has congealed or literally hardened inside the infrastructure. London, for some reason, seems to be the um, centerfold of Fogbergs. But in general, sure, once that grease gets into the system, it then becomes a trap for anything else that might be in there. So Mm -hmm. anything you flush down your, your system, if there's grease in its way, it operates like a giant net and catches it and causes all the aggravation you would imagine.
0: Yeah, and it hardens so much that, I guess, like you can't just put boiling, like, you'd need so much boiling water, I guess, to try and loosen that with heat or well, something. Well, you're right
1: about that, you know, you're absolutely right about that. And one of the challenges is that if you're using a kitchen or a commissary, whether it's your home or a commercial establishment, that water when you're cleaning is hot. Mm-hmm. So it liquefies the grease. Now, as soon as it gets into the infrastructure, it cools. So it's no longer harmless hot water with, with grease. It becomes just grease. You know, it's it's not that much different than when you have to clear a clog in your home and you look at soap and everything that gets caught up in there. Mm-hmm. Just look at that, you know, a hundredfold coming out of a, a restaurant. So there. this is a regulated space. Restaurants must maintain these grease traps, and they have to be serviced because the The offsetting issues are are really, uh, they're ugly, they're smelly, but worse than anything, they stop the infrastructure from working correctly. And a lot of our infrastructure is old, so it doesn't have the ability to manage more challenges. And Greece is, uh, it's funny, we, we deal with a lot of wastewater treatment facilities. There's tens of thousands of them in the world. They deal with all sorts of liquid waste. And if you talk to the people that manage these centers, and they're really water pollution control centers. Probably one of the most uh, important, vital infrastructure components is the fresh water that that we yeah. that we use, and obviously it sustains us. If you go and talk to a person who manages those facilities, and you look at all the waste streams they have, they'll often tell you their biggest headache is something as simple as organic grease. So it, it really is uh, it really is a problem, no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you're listening and you're vegan or you're vegetarian and you're like, well, you know, I'm not part of this problem, like that's really good. But then also I know that like bath bombs and stuff uh, are an issue because I've had a a plumber tell me that. So you might not be out of the woods totally um, if you if you are a vegetarian and trying to stay away from like animal stuff. Um, But let's talk about the fog machine. So, there is a special machine that you guys have, and it was designed at I think an Ivy League school, is that right?
1: It was actually, you know, the old expression, necessity being the mother of invention. Our, uh, our founder, uh, Ron Crozier, his organization, and he developed Greasezilla. Um, it's, it's funny, we, the name's a little loud, and the logo's even louder, but people yeah, seem to love the logo. We now have to make tattoos. <laughs> of our logo for, for people, so um, it's something you remember. Ron's <sighs> business prior to Grezilla was the hauling industry. So in the hauling business, and you see those tanker trucks all over the highways and in your cities, and they're going and they're emptying grease trap waste uh, often used for septic systems, those haulers are picking up liquid waste. So once they've got that liquid waste in their systems or in their trucks, they now need to dispose of it. And disposing of grease was a problem not only for the cities, but also for the haulers. So you've got a mixture of water and grease. Nobody wants it. The cities don't want it in their infrastructure. They don't want it at their wastewater treatment facilities. So you end up trying to harden it, dispose of it, landfill it, lagoon it, everybody is stuck with this stuff it's it's like in computers when they said garbage in garbage out well in the grease industry it's grease in grease out how do you mitigate this mixture that you're actually pulling from restaurants and most of the solutions end up with composting or landfilling which isn't doing much to help our environment certainly not ecologically sound So Ron, through really just perseverance, found a way to create the Greasevilla system, and the Greasevilla system, best said, is a separator. It takes the slurry, which is the grease in the water that's picked up, and it separates it back into just grease, just water, and that grease has numerous different and uh, purposes. It can go into a number of different industries, a number of different uh, establishments, a number of different applications. So the key was let's get that slurry and let's actually separate it back into its organic base and its water base and that opens up all sorts of options uh, and that's really what Grizzle is. the grease separator that gets the grease out at the earliest possible stage upstream from infrastructure so it never has a chance to get into our our sewers and and water treatment
0: facilities. So how are you separating it? Is this going back to heat? No, because heat would put it back into the water, so that would not work. How? How?
1: No, you're you're 100. You're 100 right. Oh. On a on a macro scale, it's really taking this mixture of water and oil, and now you're, now we're giving away all our secrets. But uh,
0: okay, <laughs> you end don't end have to day, say too much. We are heating it. Cool. Okay. No, so... I'm
1: only kidding. we we're, we're, we're actually we are heating it. <laughs> and that's what creates the separation. How you heat it is, is part of the process, this, the period of time and how that's managed, but at the end of the day, it is really applying heat. So let's go back to our regular lives. If there's something sitting in the fridge, let's call it a meat sauce, or let's call it a soup that you've made, and it's sitting in the fridge, and it's been allowed to chill. When you pull it out of the fridge, you're going to see a layer of grease on the top. Yeah, and literally if you take that to the tens of millions of gallons that go through our systems, it's a similar process. If you heat it up, you will separate it. So that is really at the bare bones uh, what is going on in the system. But what's interesting is that the system also uses that same grease, and let's get to the next level. We call it fog when we pull it out of a commissary or a commercial kitchen, But when we separate it, we end up with water and something called brown grease. And brown grease is actually a fuel. It's a fuel that can burn in replacement of diesel. Uh, And it's a fuel that substitutes certain grades of fuel, such as fuel oil 5 and 6. Our systems actually run off the very fuel they harvest. So as we're separating the grease, some of that fuel, which is now brown grease, goes back into our burners and runs the entire process. So not mm. only are you separating the grease, are you finding many useful uses for the grease, but you're actually using it to fuel the whole system, which is, which is quite unique.
0: And I guess fairly closed loop as well, right, because you're producing something and using it, and you don't have to go out and get the oil and gas to burn because if you're heating something, right. you need fuel.
1: Right. One of, one of the, the nicest parts of this industry, and anybody that's trying to convert any waste into energy, they always have two main problems. The first problem is can I get enough of that waste product to run my process? And the second problem is is there a useful end game for the waste that I'm turning into fuel? So in many industries, when they've attempted to, for example, plastic can be turned back into Uh, Fuel rubber can be turned back into fuel, but you have to go find the plastic and then you have to convert the plastic And then you have to find the uses for that fuel and you have to refine it That's the challenge. So not all of these solutions end up being practical, but with fog The amount of fog in the system is endless So there's so much feedstock that we don't know what to do with it all and the brown grease that comes out of the other end of the system is also use globally. Frankly, I think you're in Chicago, are you not? Somebody mentioned you're Chicago-based?
0: No, but it does start with a CM in Canada, so we're kind of near Toronto.
1: So you might have picked up that I'm in Montreal. So um,
0: No, I didn't company know that.
1: Is out of West, our, our company is out of West Virginia, but uh, I'm actually a Montrealer. I've been in the industry for many, many years, so I'm oh, wow. a Montrealer dealing with a company in West Virginia. But interestingly enough, That byproduct, that brown grease, ships all over the world. So we'll be putting systems into Virginia and into Massachusetts, and I think one is going into Calgary. But the brown grease is so valuable that it might ship anywhere on the planet. It's quite interesting. Okay,
0: so why is biodiesel cleaner than regular diesel? Like, It seems like maybe this could solve all our issues and fuel all our trucks. Um, Can you tell us a bit about biodiesel?
1: Sure, sure. So the fog itself we've talked about, we pull that out of the grease traps, it goes through our system and is separated and turns into a brown grease. That brown Mm. grease is called an advanced biofuel, okay? So that advanced biofuel can end up in the marine industry, powering ships can end up in factories, cement kilns, anywhere you want to generate heat. One of the other byproducts that brown grease is used for is another process that turns it into biodiesel. So brown grease is a feeder also for the biodiesel industry. The biodiesel industry, really, at the end of the day, it's the reduction of emissions, sulfates, and carbons. So that's why there's such a a push globally, certainly in Canada and the United States for certain, to get as much biodiesel into the system. And at the end of the day, it's all about the carbon emissions and sulfates That we're trying so desperately to reduce in our atmosphere
0: yeah
1: Um, what's interesting about the biodiesel industry is for many years they had to you know fight off the criticism that they were taking because they were using agricultural products as a byproduct to make biodiesel so you had to justify taking precious food and turning it into biodiesel and it was expensive and it also wasn't that well received by the public. Brown grease, however, is a waste element. Mm -hmm. So brown grease has really found its way even into this industry where it's, it's plentiful, it's inexpensive, and it can be converted into biodiesel. And it's really, this is a, I would say, it's only in the last number of years that the biodiesel industry went looking for another substrate to produce biodiesel from And fog has now become almost the input of choice, and the industry has actually had to retool for it. And it's interesting. It's because fuel prices have gone down so much. The price for biodiesel has gone down. Therefore, they had to find a less expensive input material. So a lot of developments and progression in these technologies have a lot to do with what we're paying at the pump. As the price went down, the biodiesel industry had to find a better solution. And now they're no longer dependent on agricultural input, which has all sorts of benefits in its own right.
0: You mentioned ships. So that's kind of cool. I didn't know that. So I'm ex-Navy, and I bet that would be a lot cleaner for the oceans, right, than burning dirty bunker fuel, especially when, you know, in our globalized world, we have so many tankers going across the oceans everywhere. I didn't know that, uh, that you could run ships on biodiesel
1: interesting ships when they're out in the open seas burn the least expensive and unfortunately the dirtiest Dirtiest. fuel that they can get their hands on yeah but now as there's new mandates coming in certainly a big check on sulfur emissions from the marine world the navy for example in the states i think forget the number i think it's a two percent of all the fuel used in the states goes strictly into the navy but now, what they've what they've demanded is that as ships get 200 miles from the shoreline, they must switch over to a cleaner fuel. So this is an American grease is a cleaner organic fuel that they use.
0: That's an American regulation.
1: Uh, certainly an American regulation, but it's now I believe it's also in Canada and it's being adopted globally. Hmm. You can't have these massive ships burning filthy, filthy fuel as you get closer to the shoreline. I wouldn't be surprised if in the future you find a piece of equipment like ours on a cruise ship. Because anyone that's been on a cruise ship knows the volumes of food that they serve. Mm -hmm. You could almost put a system in the ship to generate brown grease and put clean fuel into the ship's right from the kitchens that we enjoy so much on board.
0: Oh, my goodness. We
1: see that coming as well.
0: And, you know, yep. so we have we have multiple engines, so I don't know too much about tankers, but for ours, we had gas, so we would use gas if we needed to go fast, and then we would use uh, diesel for slower cruising. And, you know, that would be really cool for cruise ships to have, and... I don't think they would need to switch entirely, but it could be, like, an engine that's, like, an alternative engine for, like, certain times or something, right? Just to cut back on all that fuel. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Because
0: that's a big – like, people people are really mad at the ships. When a ship (laughs) finally
1: docks, once that ship docks and we get our baggage and we we go off to our next location, you'll see uh, just a trail of tankers emptying all the waste products from those ships. And, frankly, it's going from the ships and it's going – in some cases to landfills, some cases to anaerobic digesters, but all that uh, grease that's created on those ships where we all overindulge now has to be processed on land. Uh, And the cheapest way to process grease on land is to dump it in landfills. And that's no longer acceptable. So, you know, all all that's going on in our environment today is a real big helping hand for companies like ours.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've, so one of my Navy friends said that they watched a, a tanker truck come and pump their black water, actually. So black water is like sewage water. So they pumped it and then they watched the truck drive away and then just empty it into the ocean. And this is because Canada tries to keep their high Canadian standards of environmentalism. But then when they go to other countries, those other countries may not have those standards. So we still paid extra to like try and do the right thing. And then, yeah, apparently in the distance... This guy could see like the, tr- the truck unloading it. So, um, well, that's cool that that this could be uh, a help. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> that's,
1: huh? that's horrible. But what's interesting is this: that if you don't provide cost-effective technologies to industries, they're more prone to dump it irresponsibly. So, the cost of our our system is so inexpensive to operate, there really is no reason for somebody to dump it because they can take it to one of our systems and still make a good living. And this is what goes on in all of these industries. If you charge the the hauler an exorbitant amount of money to offload that waste, they're going to find another way to do it. So the more cost-effective the solution, the less the haulers are prone to look for shortcuts And therefore, it can be processed properly.
0: Mm -hmm. And your company is providing economic benefit. So do you want to walk us through that? Danbury, right? You've got a a new project uh, in Danbury. And I think you've inserted your system just above their water filtration plant. Is that right?
1: Right. Exactly right. Our system always sits upstream from these facilities. The EPA mandates, actually, that the grease does not get into the facilities because it just gums up the work. So our system sits upstream from these facilities. Now, what's going on in Danbury is a first. I mean, you might even be able to say you're going from dinner plate to city bus. And if you look at the stream in between, dinner plate, dishwasher, grease interceptor, picked up, brought to our system, separate into brown grease. And in the case of Danbury, this will be one of the first ever facilities where that receiving station has a biodiesel production facility at the back end. So you really could go from the buffet to the bus, and Danbury will be the first city that we've uh, come across that has integrated all of this under one roof. And the master plan in that state is to have a dozen or more systems pulling that grease, that fog, from around the state, sort of a hub-and-spoke system whereby we'll collect in 10 different locations and it will be turned into biodiesel and we'll be producing millions of gallons of brown grease. So Danbury is the uh, first location, but the master plan is to have a dozen locations in that state and for the amount of biodiesel being produced to be in the millions of gallons. So it's it's an exciting uh, project and it's the first time we've ever seen all of this under one roof so i think it's a model for the country
0: that's very cool so what what kind of scale is there to replace diesel trucks or diesel buses with this waste like are we generating as human beings enough grease waste to power all diesel trucks or something or or can you give us a ballpark kind of idea of how much? an excellent you know?
1: question. We certainly produce enough grease. Uh, so here's the rule of thumb we all generate approximately two to three gallons of pure brown grease a year. So in the United States, if you have 300 million individuals, you almost have a billion gallons of pure grease. So imagine what that would do in the infrastructure.
0: It's kind of gross to think about. So it's like about 12 liters, I guess. Yeah,
1: it's it's pleasant. There's no (laughs) doubt. We did a study that actually showed that the entire U.S. Navy could be uh, fueled by uh, brown grease. More often than not, what we do is we blend. It's just like ethanol in gasoline. You're not taking 100% pure ethanol into your car you're not taking 100% pure biodiesel into your car it's a blend Mm -hmm. but you could actually back your vehicle up to one of these facilities and load it the only challenge would be temperature so in Canada if you're loading your car with biodiesel 100% and we have a balmy minus 40 degrees Celsius day you might have a little trouble starting the car so it's, it's typically handled in a blend. But there is enough waste in our society generated by all of us to to really uh, power a good percentage of the vehicles out there. No doubt about it.
0: That's very cool. Well, even diesel, if you're in, like, minus 40, I don't think a diesel engine will start. I think it needs to be plugged in.
1: Right. right. It, it yeah. has to be. Uh, governed in, in accordingly. No so, the,
0: so blending in, no, in some it. biofuel, some, sorry, some biodiesel would make it even more difficult to start in the cold?
1: No, it's the blend. It's the percentage of biodiesel and regular diesel. It's finding that, that perfect blend that will allow the vehicle to operate as normal. There, there's certainly ample, ample, look, we sit behind a city bus, you look at heavy tractors you know full well that the, that fuel that's being burnt is not ideal. So if you can get the carbon and the sulfates out of that exhaust, that's a big move in the right direction, and we have to get there.
0: It's funny you mention the emissions coming out of the bus, because I used to ride my bike. It was a 9-kilometer ride to my job and sometimes I would try and like calculate the years of okay I'm like really fit and active so I'm probably gaining years on my life but then I'm breathing in this like horrible bus diesel that's like just <laughs> pushing it out into my face so I wonder how many years I'm taking off by that and I'm like is this a good thing like <laughs>
1: it's true you know when, it's you... True. It's like when you walk into a place it's a non-smoking establishment but you have to make it through all the people sitting in front smoking you kind of feel we, we don't have that formula perfectly figured out just yet yeah, I hear you. Um, <laughs> by the way, you know French fries and all that fryer oil—that's that's easy stuff. Um, that's been going into the biodiesel industry for ages because it comes out of the fryer and goes right to the biodiesel facilities. The fog that we deal with is the nasty stuff that's that's hard to manage. And here's something else that's interesting: because of the web and because we're able to see where visitors come, I can tell you that we are getting calls from the entire planet. Uh, Saudi Arabia is uh, looking for solutions. The Philippines are looking for solutions. Just last week, uh, Bangkok. So, you know, they want to put our systems in the malls. And we asked why. The answer was interesting. They said, because it's so congested, people have trouble going out to shop. Because e-com is so prevalent, people don't need to shop the way they used to. So malls have become food fairs. Well, they were never designed to have that many commissaries or commercial kitchens within those systems. Hmm. So the Greece, which is the same problem in Bangkok or, you know, Saudi Arabia or India, of all places, too, they're, they're looking for solutions, they need to find a way to keep it out of their infrastructure. So today in Bangkok... The grease is going into the parking lots, the parking garages where it's being stored, and we're now putting many systems in there to process it to keep it out of their infrastructure. So ailing infrastructure and aging infrastructure, it doesn't matter where in the world you are, from the the Saudi Arabies of the world to India that has its own sanitation issues to anywhere in North America, Mexico. The calls come in from all over the planet and Good. Um, sometimes great. it gives you cause for uh, hope because you see what's going on but typically people have to address issues that stop them cold and cold stops grease and that's how we, uh, that's how we help the planet.
0: Okay, so one last question. So I mentioned that I make poutine sure. at home and I'm going to have to change <laughs> my grease soon. So as a Canadian to a Canadian, what should I do with it? Should I be finding someone to take it or what
1: sure i don't even you, you know should be because <laughs> well what's interesting is although you can regulate commercial kitchens there's more grease coming out of domestic kitchens than there are is coming out of commercial kitchens so when we do you know people often say what shouldn't you put down the drain and the answer is anything that you wouldn't want sitting in the base of your sink you know and we know what grease does to our sinks so if you don't want it in your sink, you sure as heck don't want it in the pipes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've found for the first time, and this is out of Atlanta, it's it's rather interesting. The cities are now charging the homes a dollar to two dollars a month, and they're putting grease receptacles in the homes and then going to pick it up. So that's the ideal scenario where you actually hold it and it gets picked up and it's disposed of the same way you might dispose of electronics. Uh, but the the other route is to actually pick it up with a paper towel and put it into your compost. Keep it the heck out of the systems. So mm-hmm. most people don't do that. We use our garburetors or our disposals out of sight, out of mind, but uh, we really should be keeping it out of the systems. Now, where does it end up? From your house and your drain, it still gets to wastewater treatment facilities. And there, they have a lovely term for it. It's called SCUM. It floats on the top of these processing centers we actually are able to recover it from these processing centers, the scum at the top, and get it into our systems as well. So it's coming from everywhere, but you know, one day you'll be driving in your neighborhood and you'll see some truck with a huge hose going down into a sewer. And what they're doing is they're trying to free them up and clear them up because once you have an overflow, you have all sorts of problems. So the cities are, are hell-bent on trying to avoid that. They have to maintain it, which is a multi-billion dollar problem. I think it's $25 billion of cleaning that goes on, on in the States. But more and more, they're just trying to avoid it happening in the first place.
0: It's an interesting issue, and this is really cool that you're doing this. It sounds like you're massive and getting all over the world and uh, helping people with a type of waste that we don't really think about a lot of us. So very cool. So thank yeah. you very much, Brian.
1: I so appreciate your interest, and uh, your questions were just wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: That was Brian Levine. He's the executive vice president of GreaseZilla, and he was talking all about the proper disposal of fats, oil, and grease waste. Did you know you can now find our episodes on YouTube? If you have a YouTube account, please like, subscribe, and comment on there. And if you haven't given us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, please do so. It helps the algorithms push our show up in search results, which means more people will discover the show and more zero-waste solutions will be shared around the world from our amazing guests that we've had on the show. I'm a volunteer at my local college radio station and I don't make very much money So if you have a few bucks to spare each month, you can sign up and be a patron on podbean There's a little reward button you can click on there I'm also on patreon But I want to keep all my content free for everyone instead of putting it behind a paywall so You also can donate directly on the show's website zero We are a registered nonprofit in Canada called the zero waste countdown initiative Thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks to our listeners in America, Canada, Germany, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, Spain, and wherever else you're tuning in from. Together, we're going to change the world. Change starts now. This
1: is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.